Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we're looking at Minute 106, which begins with Ripley petting Jones and ends with Ripley starting to remove her shirt. And it is Monday um, and we have a returning guest. It's the return of Mariah E. Gates to the Alien Minute show. Mariah, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Thanks for coming back. It was really fun last time, so I'm excited to be back. Well, you know, last week we sort of ended at a point where if everybody wanted to stop watching Alien and believe that everything was happy and she'd blown up the monster and she was going to just get into the pod with her cat and everything would be great, they could have stopped listening. And if they have not stopped listening and if they're back with us, it's time for the movie to go into its big finale. Even though for a minute there, it looks like maybe the movie's over. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, watching this minute, Mitch, with you, I do an Alien podcast. Obviously, I've seen the movie Alien. I've seen it many, many, many times. I've talked about it extensively over and over again. And yet, I'm watching this minute just today and looking at Ripley petting Jones. And the score is nice and seems final. And for a minute, I go, ah, great they're they're gonna be fine and i go wait a minute what am i thinking i was literally kind of lulled into this false sense of safety here and i thought man that score i that score is perfect right here it actually makes you feel nice and relaxed and calm and think that this really is the end of the movie even if you've seen the movie however many times i've seen it but it doesn't end nope and the music goes away and so we are sort of faced with what's going to happen next And it brings us to probably the most controversial point in this movie, which is that uh, Ripley starts to undress. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about Jones one last time. (laughs) So we talked about Jones and how I don't think it makes sense that she went back for Jones. And I don't see any bonding between her and Jones. And I just, it makes no sense. And then she's petting Jones and he starts getting real sassy and then she gets sassy right back and goes, all right, it's nice to see you too. And it's like, they're not friends. This cat is not her cat. I don't believe it's her cat. I think this solidifies the fact that it's not her cat. I think the only reason she went back to it for it was because it was a creature that couldn't help itself. And that's it. I don't think this is her cat. Yeah. The, we ended, we just talked a lot about the saving the cat, I think, when you were on before. Yeah. Many times we've talked about the assumption that Jones is her cat and she's the cat lady and she went back to get the cat, which I dispute somewhat. It's more she gets the cat on the way while she's doing other things. What does it say? Yeah, I think you're implying it already, but what does it say about her that she would do all this, get the cat, make sure the cat is safe despite all the danger that she's facing? I I, I mean, I think it says that she's a good person who wouldn't let a cat die. And that's great. I just don't want people to think it is her cat. Clearly not her cat. Because if it were her cat, the line delivery would have felt more like I'm talking to my own cat. And it felt like I was talking to my, like she was talking to her friend's cat who never really likes her. I think she's talking to the last surviving member of the crew. (laughs) She she might not have liked Brett very much, but she probably would have gone back for him. So maybe it's it's humanity. (laughs) Maybe it's just something that he is the last thing that was alive on that ship. And so she has a certain grudging love for him now do we think everybody in the crew would have gone and gotten jones or do we think that ripley's the only one 
that would have done this. He was on the way, so she grabbed him. I don't think she really went back for him. So No, no. I, I Yeah, went back is the wrong way to put it. So if meaning, he was in the ray for other characters, it, they would probably said, yeah, why okay. not? All right, I'll take him. There was an exciting moment, though, where she hears Jones. She goes, Jones? And then, now, would Parker have gone, Jones? Where are you, buddy? Or would Parker said, that goddamn cat, forget about it. And gone on, True. or would have everybody else have done that? Uh, everybody probably would yeah. have. Okay. Yeah, I think there's something. About, unless maybe he was the last person alive, and the only other thing was Jones, and then maybe psychologically Brett would have said, "I need a cat." Sure, that that could be what this is all about in the end. Now, I was going to mention too that she so she says, "And nice to see you too," and she puts him in the pod and closes the pod. Right now, does this make any sense? I always thought. Oh, there's another pod or something. So she's putting him in the pod and going to put him to sleep. And then she's going to get in. No, there's only one pod. So this is nitpicking. This is just a matter of weird continuity. What's she doing? Why is she putting him in there and closing it down? She's going to have to get in there too, right? Why so is there she, only one pod? I mean, that makes no sense either. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, if it's in a, if this ship, the narcissist is in fact just an escape pod, then I guess. <laughs> and you get fine. one. It's a one person It's ship, the one person, right? Which seems bizarre because it's pretty big. And they but, said it'll, it'll, it won't take four. It'll only take three. So yet there's, I don't see three other cryopods in there. So I think the more you think about this, the less it makes sense yeah. in, in those terms. That's what I was going to get to. I just think that this matter of her putting Jones into the pod and everything, considering the cat carrier is sitting on top of the pod, meaning this isn't just her corralling the cat for a moment while she gets undressed and turns all the systems off or on or whatever. It's just, I think part of this kind of rush to the end of the movie where they're just a little confused about everything that's going on. They just It really doesn't make much sense. I was thinking that too, that I, I, I kind of buy it at her corralling the cat because like when you're about to take the cat to the vet, that's usually when the cat is missing. And so often you'll put the cat in a carrier, you know, the night before or whatever. And I could kind of maybe see that logic because she's about to shut everything down and she doesn't want shut everything down and then have to find the cat. But to your point, there's also the cat carrier and it would have made more sense to put the cat in the cat carrier and then together get into the pod. Right. I mean, she could have kept up. She just took him out of the cat carrier. She could have kept him in there. And then considering to jump all the way to next week, considering she takes him out again because the movie ends with her petting Jones again before they go to sleep. Yeah. So she, so basically the action she goes to take him out of the cat carrier, put him in the pot, close the pot, have all this action movie business, get him back out, pet him a little bit, give a little uh, captain's log. <laughs> and they get back in there again. So it's a little weird. I think they were rushed. I think they I had think two days it. to do the end of the movie and they weren't thinking about it too much. Yep, that's exactly it. That's my theory. We, we took a long to time to get to that. That was kind of what I was getting at, that that must be the explanation because it's just so confusing if you try to make logical sense out of it. Well, John, although um, I appreciate all this talk about the cat, uh, the truth is, is what we really want to talk about. Yeah. And I would say what we're waiting for, but when you watch the movie, you don't know you're waiting for it because... You don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. She begins to take her clothes off. She does. She goes to a locker and grabs something. Plastic. Something plastic. Not something I've ever given too much thought to this action until this watching this minute either. She grabs something plastic and then she begins to disrobe. That's your standard issue Nostromo robe that she the, gets out of that. Right? Yeah. Like the one that Kane had on the floor. You remember all the way back to the beginning when Kane wakes up and his is on the floor and so on, right? Yeah. That's what you get the idea. They take those off. Before they get into the pods, though, so what's she doing? Anyway, <laughs> we'll get back into the, get to that another later. hole of like illogical stuff. But uh, yeah, so here we are, 
and Ripley is, starts to take her clothes off. Mariah, let's just hear your thoughts, I guess. I have the, my final note on this minute is those damn panties, exclamation point. I, I just, I hadn't rewatched this movie in years, and then I rewatched it before going on the show the first time, and I had forgotten about those 10 minutes. I remember seeing the photo of her and her underwear all over the internet, but somehow I had forgotten how she gets to that point, and it just made me so angry. And, and I'm not so much angry that, like, she's in her underwear, although that is I offended. What offends me is the underwear they put her in. I don't think it makes sense for the character, and I know they did it just to make her look sexy and to have that sexy moment in the horror movie, and that just really pisses me off because everything else about the movie is so respectful and so unsexualized with all the women, and it's so, um, from that era in particular, so like refreshing until that last 10 minutes and then it's just like everything else just feels like a slap in the face there's a couple of thoughts the first one being that in the director's commentary ridley scott even goes so far to say that as he's essentially bargaining for these last couple of minutes um the executives kept saying there's not enough sex there's no sex where's the sex and he thought that maybe there was a way to bring some kind of eroticism albeit male gaze type of eroticism into the mix the other thing that's odd for me is that she is in fact starting to take her clothes off and if you have the presence of mind to think back to the beginning of the movie you do remember that everybody was essentially naked at the beginning they were wearing diapers right um and so that are you supposed to think oh boy she's going to take everything off is i mean is that is that is it is that the trick that they're up to yeah it just it's just icky i find it icky it makes me upset and you know that it was you know that they added it for that reason only, for that for the sex appeal. And the fact that the whole rest of the movie didn't have that makes it a revolutionary film. And then you just get this. It's like Hollywood is so full of these horrible studio-mandated endings. And you thought you think by the 70s you have that less often, and then you still get it. I'll just point out that we're kind of stretching into the next minute a little bit with this conversation. That's fine. I think there's a lot of very specific things to talk about in the next minute, too, concerning this. Oh, yes. What I'll say is, let's cut it off at this minute here, and I don't have that much of a problem. Because, like Mitch said, there is a practical explanation for why she might be disrobing. So I'm okay. Okay, I get it. She's disrobing. She just got something to put on, apparently. So we're just going through the motions here. My problems with this will be talked about tomorrow. And I think it's specifically how the scene plays out and how it's shot. Yep. And not the act itself. And then tomorrow will be the day that we should probably talk about some of the explanations for that that have been given after the fact for the reason that they did this. But before we get there and before we go to tomorrow, today, I do want to say one thing that is just from an historical perspective, I guess. If we look at this movie as positioned in that period of new American cinema, somewhere between 67 and 79 is where I kind of draw those those boundaries from essentially from... Uh, from Bonnie and Clyde to to Heaven's, Heaven's Gate, Gate, right? That's what I was um, <laughs> For all of the great things that came out of that period, which is my favorite period in cinema, the one thing that didn't come out of it were particularly feminist movies. Yeah. And there were very few female directors in that period. It was a, it was still a boys' club. It was just a younger, you know, maybe more drug-addled boys' club. But it was still really a boys' club, a white boys' club, too. It was a, you know... No ties, no suits, boys club. Just that's the difference, right? 
you had these suits for so long, the Louis B. Mayers and, and so on, that were instructing from up top, like how the movies were to be made in the factory system. And then it turned into an auteurist system, but it really wasn't a different perspective. But in the end, it's still the male gaze. And yeah, I mean, you would think that it would be more progressive, but when you look back at the movies, it's not at all, really. I mean, there are movies within that period that are made by women, but man, they don't get talked about a lot. That's for sure. And it, they might not have really affected the studio system as it was by 1979 where 20th century Fox, they still wanted their sex in their movie. So I don't know how much really changed in that period for that. Like in that era that you're talking about was the height of sexualized women, to be honest. Um, I've read a lot of, of studio notes. One of my many jobs in Hollywood was uh, writing like copy for a streaming service and not writing copy, but writing the metadata. And you get it from this this website that would have like studio mandated notes as part of things you could look at. Um, and I saw one for some movie that I was typing in that the, the note was, we don't have enough sex, let's add a rape scene. This is from a movie from 69 or 70. And I got so upset, <laughs> I had to like leave the office. I was like, I can't handle this. We, we, we fought hard to like for artists to get to do things that weren't you know production code whatever and but we did not fight for that you know what I mean it was really frustrating yeah the 70s are a really rapey period late 60s through the 70s it's pretty weird yeah it is weird and why would adding sex equal rape that's right. what I want to know conclusion like was it because they had it in their minds, oh, this is an age of provocative sexuality, and somehow rape equals provocative sexuality to them? That's a very strange leap to make. Oh, there's not enough sex. Have somebody rape somebody. That's crazy. Yeah. But Eastwood was up to that all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really distressing. I, I remember as a kid seeing The Outlaw Josie Wales and being really distressed by it. And it was a PG movie. You know? <laughs> High, High Plains Drifter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not to get too off track, but... Where did Eastwood learn his chops directing westerns from Leone? And there's certainly some of that with Leone, especially when you get into a movie like uh, Once Upon a Time in America, which has one of the most disturbing rapes I've ever seen. I hate that movie for that very reason. That's the one thing about that movie that makes me hate that movie. It is a disturbing time when it comes to that subject. And ugh. So what's so frustrating it's... with Alien is that the bulk of the film, it's so divorced from that mentality and then to just sort of shoehorn it in, it's not that it, they're shoehorning rape in, but they're shoehorning this this uh, male gaze hypersexualization of this character out of nowhere. And it just it's just so incongruous and so disrespectful, I feel, to the character that it really, really irritates me and almost ruins the whole movie for me. On that note, should we just move on to tomorrow then? I think that's probably <laughs> what we should do, yeah. Um, I think that's a pretty good segue to tomorrow because there's more, much more to talk about tomorrow, I think, on this subject. So, so Mariah, do you want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? Um, anywhere that you see the handle Old Films Flickr is probably me. It's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr. Uh, I also have a YouTube called Coffee and Movies that I created before Old Films Flickr, so that's the one handle that's different. All right, and you can find us at alienminute.com. Or follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. Come over and visit our Tee Public page and get some t shirts or mugs or whatever you want from over there. And 
I will give our weekly shout out to the Star Wars Minute uh, coming back very soon with Attack of the Clones. So that'll do it for minute number 106. We'll see you tomorrow for minute 107.